I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Surya Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Yesterday, we discussed pizza and how many pieces of pizza there are in a pie, which is so subjective and could almost almost be any number. Today, I'm reminded of a Zen story. A modern Zen master was asked, and I don't mean an American one, I mean a Japanese Zen master in modern times in Japan, was asked, Master, and you could imagine in Japan, this would be a very big question. Master, how should we eat pie? With spoon, with, with fork, or with chopsticks? What did the master say? Yeshe, since you had a good answer yesterday. I don't know. That's always a good answer. Any ideas? How should we eat our... Apple pie with chopsticks, with fork, or with spoon? With mouth. Thank you, Robert. That's what he said. Very good. So let's think now about, in terms of our meditation practice, about tracing back to the source. Are we still looking outward at the things, the the objects, or are we also including as an object the subject? Who is looking? Who is seeing? Who is doing what around here? Who's responsible? If everything is subjective, then who's responsible for all of these perceptions and experiences and how we interpret things and so on? How we don't see things as they are, but as we are through our projections and interpretations. Tracing back to the source. Don't get too excited, Robert. That's just one answer of the many possible. (laughs) 
I can see him levitating proudly out of the sound booth. Get back, get down, get back. In our own Dzogchen lineage, the great fearless master Jigme Lingpa has something to say about this. He says the inferior meditators are like dogs. No offense. He didn't mean us. <laughs> they chase the bones that are thrown. The great meditators are like a lion. They jump on the thrower. You with me? Back to eating pie with your mouth, not with a chopstick or a fork, as if that matters. The inferior meditators chase the bones as they're thrown, like dogs chase the bones. The great meditators are like a lion. They jump on the thrower. In other words, look at who's projecting, who's imagining. If everything is subjective, as so many have said, from Shakespeare to Nagarjuna, the Buddhist philosopher. What did Shakespeare say? There is neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. In Buddhism, there is no unequivocally good or bad things. There's just the wanted and the unwanted. The objects of our desire and aversion, the wanted and the unwanted. Everything's so subjective, then let's look at who's responsible around here. Who's doing what? Look at the looker, see the seer, perceive the perceiver, see through the seer and be free of this dualism that sets up, this ignorant dualism that sets up the wanting and the unwanting, as if that's going to matter. When the truth is nothing fundamentally affects our true existential situation. It may momentarily affect our feelings and emotions, or health even, all of which have their importance, but does not affect our fundamental existential situation, who and what we truly are, our true nature, our Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it, our soul if you talk in theism, which we don't here in this church. So jump on the thrower, not just chasing every bone that gets thrown. So now we're practicing according to the view, the meditation and the action of the great perfection, the Dzogchen practice as discussed yesterday, view, meditation, and action, which is the ground, the basis, the ground, the path, the way, the practice, the path, and the fruit or the result, the view, meditation, and action the view of things just as they are, the meditation of non-meditation, of leaving it as it is, excuse me, and the action or the conduct according to what's needed and called for, just doing what needs to be done, not trying to do as much as possible, not trying to do as little as possible, or any other egotistical strategy or variation. If there's wind, there's waves on the ocean. No wind, no waves. The ocean remains unaffected, in essence, in depth unimproved, unruined. So when we look at our true nature, similarly, we might find it to be so, but we have to confirm or dis discover that for ourselves. No rumor will help us realize it. We have to look into it ourselves if we feel called upon to do so, of course. 
So now introducing the Dzogchen, Treg-Chud, the seeing through, cutting through, seeing through, being through practice. We've been doing the natural meditation in the form of sky gazing today with eyes open and ears open and nose open. Maybe you heard these instructions and mouth open and everything open, natural, decontracted, at ease, sky gazing, not looking for anything, not staring a hole in space, giving yourself a headache. You're allowed to blink. Sky gazing. Space mingling. Infinite dissolving or resolved in the infinite, in just the isness, the thusness, the beingness, just being, not doing, just being, as we already are, as is, as it is. That's the Dzogchen slogan, as it is. And the instruction is as is, at ease, as is. The natural state. Or whatever state you think you're in, that will have to do for now. Don't be too perfectionistic. Let's lower the bar all the way to the ground. You can't miss. All it, all in. The bigger picture, the view, the great perfection, the natural great completeness, the ultimate consummation. So many ways to translate this. The peak the peak vehicle, as Trungpa called it, Mahaati in Sanskrit. So many ways to call Dzogchen, the ultimate consummation, the natural great perfection, the luminous great completeness, the totality. But the view is really the big picture, the view from above, God's God vision, God's eye view, not human vision. Although human vision is a pale reflection of that. It's part of it, certainly like the bubble is the sea, but it's hard to see, and it's sea through and through, but it's the sea somehow seems bigger and a little different than the bubble or the wave, inseparable as they may be. Or ice and water, although they're the same nature, H2O, different states, temporary different states, like ice and water, Buddha nature and human nature. My own Dzogchen Lama, Nyosho Ken Rinpoche, who helped found the Dzogchen Center here in America, he said, the only difference between the ordinary beings and the Buddhas is the scope of their vision or awareness. So different states or different scope, same nature. So in the view, now we're talking from the practice point of view, the sky gazing, Tregchud, Seeing through, being through, cutting through Tregjud, Dzogchen's main meditation, Tregjud in Tibetan, in the form of sky gazing, or Namkai Naljur, literally sky space union yoga, Namkai Naljur, sky space union yoga, sky gazing, eyes open, not stretched, not looking up, just gazing gently as if you're on a hill overlooking the ocean not waiting for your ship to come in, not counting waves, not studying and notating the clouds, just enjoying the view, nothing else to do. These are the instructions, the pith instructions, the whispered oral instructions, the tips and pointers since ancient times. Of course, in a little bit modern idiom, but up to date, like I received it from my teacher, from mouth to ear, like you received how to tie a shoelace from your parent or your your sibling or elder, not reading it in a book. 
the rabbit goes over the hole and into the whole hair of the rabbit's ear or whatever it is. I haven't heard that in so long. Can't even remember what it is. These are the pith instructions, not the voluminous 84,000 teachings of Dharma, Buddha Dharma, not just the books and doctrines and commentaries, the sutras and shastras and all that. The whispered oral, the personal tips and pointers, the pith instructions of how to do it and how to progress on this path of enlightenment. The Vajra vehicle, the, the Vajra diamond shortcut, or Dzogchen, direct access, enlightenment now teachings. Always explained according to the view. Here's the view, just as it is, nothing added, nothing extra to get rid of or erase. And the meditation of non-meditation or getting used to it. We hear the word meditation, we think of somebody sitting cross-legged, first a human being, probably a man, sitting cross-legged. But meditation in Tibetan, the word is gum, it means getting used to it or maturation. So from the view of things perfect, a lawful unfolding, just as they are, beyond notions of good or bad, just as they are, a piece of shit is perfect just as it is. Where would we be without shit? And a piece of, I don't know, what's valuable, gold or, or uh, diamond is perfect just as it is. But value is so subjective. Gold and money, you know, bills, dollar bill, whatever, $100 bills, and, and silver is not valuable to a dog or a cat. Have you noticed? Different value systems, different beings, different perceptions. But just as it is, it's a beautiful steaming piece of shit that the horse just dropped. There's a haiku. Wow, haiku. Snapshot of reality, just as it is, fantastic. What's wrong with shit? Where would we be without it? Well, for that matter, assholes. Where would we be without them? <laughs> All part of the mandala of the great perfection. Where would we be without them? We'd be stuck, Dr. Drew. <laughs> stuck, I say. <laughs> Everything, yes, is the great affirmation, but it's a non-affirmation, affirmation. That's in Buddhist lingo. Not saying it's all one. That's too simplistic. But more subtly recognizing the, the unity and diversity. The mandala principle, it's all centered. There's no closer and further from the center. It's like the philosopher said, God is the circle whose center is everywhere and circumference nowhere. It's all center. The mandala or the hologram, the whole is in each part. So it's overly simplistic to say the waves and the sea are one. Yes, from one point of view, it's all water, it's all sea. From another point of view, there are waves and sea. There's rough waves, there's tidal waves, and tsunami waves. There's also icebergs and other things, although it is all water, yes, from the absolute or the, the unity point of view. So can we have that kind of, I don't want to say dual vision, because that is a little bit uh, problematic language, that kind of um, integral vision, integrated vision, where we see dualistically with our two eyes and we can recognize up from down, left from right, here from there, and also unitarily with our third eye and see the unity and diversity, the one and the many, the light and everyone and everything, 
the Buddhiness in everyone and everything. The light in you is the light in me and the light also in the, not just the butterflies and dolphins, but also the mosquitoes and the vermin to go to the bigger, you know, deeper, inclusive level. All beings endowed with the luminous Buddha nature, as the teachings say. All children of God, as theists say, all creatures, not just Buddhists, not just men, not just humans, as some think. And I'm mentioning this because we often think in these limited categories. Some say only men can become Buddhas, etc. So some think, you know, color is an issue, etc. So, so subjective, scope, a matter of scope and perspective. So subjective. So one of the great meanings of sunyata, according to me, is subjectivity, not emptiness, which stresses the not a thingness, which is fine, but the word emptiness in English sounds too much vacuous or like vacuum chamber, like an empty glass, a full glass, or if I pour this out, an empty glass. But the word shunyata means not what it seems to be. Like, sure, this is a glass, but it's also not a glass. What do you mean it's not a glass? Well, it's a glass, but it's mine. It's my glass. Or it's, you know, Garrison's glass. Or it's a full glass. Can you say it's not a full glass? So if I say it's not a glass, you just say, oh, well, you're giving me some bullshit. Bullshit philosophy as usual. Yeah, but it's also made out of something. Well, then you say, oh, it's made out of glass. Well, that's what I said. No, you said it was a glass. I'm saying, no, it's not just a glass. It's glass. Oh, that's close enough. More bullshit. Okay. But what is glass? You know, I don't even know, doctor. Hydrocarbons, something, silicon. So traditionally in philosophy, you know, in Buddhist philosophy, they say table. What's a table? Like, is this really an altar? This is why we say it's empty of alterhood or a table, or an altar, or a box. If you were here backstage, you would see it's just some cardboard boxes taped together with duct tape. (laughs) Anyway, so more importantly, what are we? Who are we? Are we just who we think we are? Or a conglomeration of aggregates, a whirling conjuries of changing forces. But if we look through an electron microscope, what do we see but a whole lot of subatomic particles whirling around in mostly space, right? Very interesting. All those protons and neutrons and, you know, atoms, molecules, and all the little micro sub things that they're made out of the protons and neutrons and electrons. And now we have to deal with the other things, the quarks and the narcs and the darks, down to the boson, whatever it's called, the Higgs boson that I, you know, heard yesterday on NPR, the substratum of matter. So things are not what they seem to be. So what are they? Well, maybe we don't know, but why don't we inquire rather than just saying this is this and that is that and always shall it be. Well, more to the point, I am me. And that's how I am. What can I do? And being stuck in our rut, what can I do? I'm too old to get enlightened. I'm just a woman. How can I be president or Buddha? And so on. If you think I'm exaggerating, think again. I'm just a woman. I can't be a priest. 
I'm just a woman. I can't be a man. Or vice versa. Even that we seem to have temporarily solved. <laughs> anyway, obviously there's no gender in the spiritual level, in the, in the, in the absolute, in the Buddha nature. <clears throat> Buddha means enlightenment or truth. It's just a placeholder for the absolute, like the word God. It's not a white person or a man or a person with a white beard, as sophisticated thinkers know. But let's... Instead of looking at the bones that we fight over, Buddha and God and heaven or Allah, let's jump on the thrower, O lions, O sons and daughter of noble family, as Buddha liked to say in his time. Lion-like inquirers. <clears throat> what are we? What are we made out of? Are we our body, which changes so much? From I'm looking around the room, here we have high school graduate Casey to, I don't know who the oldest person is here, probably Peter Donovic with his black hoodie trying to look young. <laughs> it's so not about age, as everybody knows. As Jack Lalanne, the late, would say, you're only as old as you feel. So it's, that's, that's fine as far as it goes. But our true nature has no age. So who are we underneath this changing body and feelings and thoughts and mind changing so much from the time we're little until now and the roles that we play? So this is the meaning of emptiness. The things are not what they seem to be. It's just a momentary or an hour or a day or even a lifetime construction stuck together with the crazy glue of our conceptual imputations overlaid on reality. Our conceptual imputations, our labels and concepts overlaid upon reality, which is unspeakable and expressible and describable. And some say unknowable, like a mystery, which is fine as far as it goes. So sunyata means mystery and subjectivity as much as emptiness or voidness. It means empty of the concepts we label with. It means void of the concepts we superimpose upon reality. Like a map. Everybody knows a map is not the territory, but it could be helpful. So a map is void of territory. It has its own uses and qualities, but it's just a map. It's, one, it's like two-dimensional. It's missing some other dimensions, right? It's not the territory. And our name is not us, and our role is not us. Just like this table, it's not just the table. You could say so many other things about it. It's wood, it's, it's construction, it's altar, it's altar table, it's, uh, it's um, Rube Goldberg jury rig put together on spur of the notice. It's blue, it's red. Similarly about ourselves. Are we really just male or female or young or old or Buddhist or whatever or American or something else or, or what? We're enlightened or not, even. We have concepts. That's why a Buddhist wise guy said, there are no enlightened beings. There's only enlightened activity. There's only enlightenment. Isn't that interesting? I like that. Very provocative. And we all have our moments of enlightenment because we're all endowed with the luminous Buddha nature. We're all sleeping Buddhas or awakened Buddhas, or somewhere in between, you know, sometimes asleep, sometimes awake. 
all Buddhas by nature, some sleeping Buddhas, some awakened Buddhas. So in the view of the great perfection, the practice we're doing is based on this, the view of leaving it as it is, seeing as it is, experiencing it as it is, leaving it as it is, being as is. You with me? That's the view, meditation, and action, the ground path and fruit of the great perfection. Seeing or experiencing it as it is, leaving it as it is, the meditation of non-meditation, the path, and being as is. If there's something to do, it gets done. If not, not. You don't have to compulsively or obsessively always have to be busy, like a busybody, stirring up more dust, trying to be helpful. But stirring up more dust may or may not be helpful if it's not needed. So this is the view, meditation, and action, ground path, and fruit of the great perfection. The view, the glimpse, our highest intuition, direct introduction to our true nature, whatever you want to call it, the meditation, or getting used to it, not just crossing our legs. Meditation means getting used to it or maturation. Getting used to leaving things as they are. Seeing it as it is, seeing things as they are, that's the glimpse, the view, the ground. And then the path is getting used to leaving it as it is, getting used to how it is, and not keep visualizing and imagining and manipulating and trying to improve or, or maximize or simplify. For now, just leaving it as it is, Getting used to that, seeing we can actually undo the habit of overdoing, as we discussed yesterday, and leave things as they are without manipulation, interference, without construction projects or destruction projects. As Lao Tzu says, when nothing is done, this is just a translation, who knows what he really said, when nothing is done, nothing is left undone. I love that. That may sound a little quietistic, but let's not get hung up on it. It's a good balance to our usual do as much as possible, be all that you are cultural mentality. You know, be all that you are is fine as a marine slogan or for teenagers or for empowering young people. But how about know what you are or to go back in history to the father of philosophy? You know, who were you? Know thyself, as Socrates said. This is not new. This is an evergreen, timeless issue, question, and subject. Know thyself. Who are you? So we can actually jump on the thrower of these bones, of these objects, of these perceptions, interpretations. We can turn towards rather than away from ourselves, from the perceiver, from the actor, from the sovereign or doer of all, the kunche galpo as one of the Dzogchen Tantras or Dzogchen scripture texts is called, the Kunchi Gyalpo, the all-doer. We can turn towards it and see who's doing what around here. Like, who is experiencing our experience, as I mentioned yesterday in the meditation instruction? Who or what is hearing these words? Not just, what the hell is he saying? But, ooh, who's wondering that? Who's hearing, seeing, feeling? In the present moment, through the research in the lab of your present moment laboratory, through the research here and now in the inner lab, in the present moment. Who is thinking? Who is feeling? Who is feeling a little pain or sensation in the body, the back, the knee? When you're driving in traffic, who was angry at the guy that just cut me off? That turns away from the object and the anger to the subject. 
And then you can choose how, when, and if to respond and not just react blindly, retaliate in kind. This is the essence of mindful anger management, creating that space between stimulus and response. Not just blindly reaction, knee-jerk reaction, but creating that space of mindful awareness between stimulus and response. So you can choose how, when, and if to respond. Look into who is angry. Who's in a hurry? Who thinks they're going somewhere so important? Does it really matter? I like to remember the sign on the winding, shoulderless, lightless, lineless, guardrailless roads in the foothills of the Himalayas, like in Darjeeling, where the Indian government has put up in English a sign, better be late, Mr. Motorist, than the late Mr. Motorist. <laughs> <laughs> Good English, good Indian English for once, huh? <laughs> A little patriarchal, but you get the point. <laughs> so this is what in my Korean Zen teacher, Nine Mountains, used to call tracing the radiance. In fact, there's an excellent... Zen book about it called Tracing the Radiance, if you like to read translations from Zen, from the old master Sunil, Tracing Back the Radiance. All of this is like radiance of the mind, of awareness, all of our perceptions and projections. Let's trace it back to the source of all this radiance, to, who, to the radiator, instead of just looking at the silver screen, like the movie screen, look back at the projector and see what's going on. I'm not saying pull the plug even. I'm just saying get the whole picture. Take in the whole picture, not just be fooled and, you know, just re reacting to what's going on in front of you. Biting the hook, as we discussed yesterday, hookedness and swallowing the bait through the senses, swallowing the bait, getting hooked and pulled out of our element and dying, spiritually speaking. Just because we smell something or see something wriggling doesn't mean we have to bite it and swallow it hook, line, and sinker and be deceived by every momentary thought or feeling, reaction, emotion, or outer event. We could recognize it all like it says in the Diamond Sutra, like a dream, like illusion, like magic show, like a fantasy, like echoes, mirage, flash of lightning, dewdrops, etc., in other words, see through these dreamlike, impermanent, ownerless appearances, both outer phenomena and inner mind stuff, noumena. See through all this phenomena, noumena, and rest in the view. Nothing more to do in this practice. There are other practices where you might be more active in this practice we're talking about. Not to mention in life. We have to distinguish between red, green, and yellow when you're driving. Otherwise, big problem. But here, if you see red, green, or yellow, you just enjoy the light show. <sighs> Nothing more to do. Enjoy the view. You're not driving. There's no other cars to smash into. Red, green, yellow, light, dark, Buddhas, demons. <sighs> Imaho, nice floats going by on the Easter parade. And also, you're just one of the floats. Don't think you're separate there from it all. 
permanently watching these transitory floats, they'll be missing the point. Again, recognizing you're part of the process. Just one more float put together for this parade and then moving on. Maybe quite different tomorrow or later. No permanent fixed separate identity. No separate permanent fixed self, as they say. Anatta. The corollary of sunyata. So I've been talking about the view meditation in action and how it applies to our practice, the sky gazing, space mingling, based on what we've been practicing the last few days, natural meditation, just seeing through, being through, natural body, natural breath and energy, natural heart-mind. If you need a little more structure, following the breath a little bit with the out-breath, in this Dzogchen sky-gazing practice, we emphasize the out-breath with the feeling of open and release. Of course, you're allowed to breathe in. That's very important. But just for pur- if you need some structure to this rather formless, structureless openness and awareness meditation, this panoramic awareness, natural meditation, sky-gazing, concentrate a little like halfway or 40% on the out-breath. I get this number from Trungpa. He he was such a pioneer. He came up with this percentage. But don't worry about the exact percent. It just means not fixed, overly concentrated, 100% of the out-breath. But put a little concentration on the exhalation. (sighs) Mouth open and principle of releasing, relaxing, a little death with each out-breath, relinquishment. if you need a little structure or focus, anchor to present awareness. Otherwise, simply resting aware in awareness itself. Awareness, aware of awareness. To break it down further, awareness is the subject. Awareness is the object. Not I am looking at candle flame. Three, I subject, candle flame object, looking, interaction. Awareness, aware of awareness. So a non-dual or uncompartmentalized totality a spectrum, a circle, a sphere, a whole, rather than separate subject and object, me and you, self and other, I, it. More like I, thou, reflecting each other, two mirrors reflecting each other. Are they one or two? And what do you see in the mirror? Who's in the mirror if there's just two mirrors reflecting each other? So look, gazing in the mirror of emptiness in the, the sky, the space is a metaphor for openness, awareness, emptiness, shunyata, the luminous void, the effulgent void, the womb of emptiness. Gaze in the mirror of shunyata at yourself, all your projections, your, your world, your imagination. Get to know yourself better. Know thyself. This is a great method to the great ease and freedom, carefree openness and awareness of the great perfection of Dzogchen meditation. Somebody, uh, uh, a very tall American Vipassana teacher once asked my teacher, what's the difference who speak, you know, a speaks English, what's the difference between Dzogchen mind and mindfulness? or Dzogchen awareness, I think he said, and mindfulness. And the Lama thought a minute, and then he said, in Dzogchen, no mind. 
So if that needs any explanation, which it really doesn't, let's just bring it down to one level of maybe in Dzogchen, there's no reaching out to the objects. We're not object-focused. In insight meditation of Vipassana is often an emphasis on the objects. Anyway, any questions, please, especially about our practice? Um, one of the things that over the last few years I find I go in and out of doing is whether open eyes or closed eyes, sometimes I still visualize the breath, sort of, or, or have an image of, in my head of it traveling. And sometimes I'm able to let go of that, but sometimes it's still there. And I, I've read different teachings about it that it's not, of course, nothing's bad to, to have that visual, visualization. But just your thoughts on that. Um, in this practice, we're not visualizing anything except whatever comes up, which is, you could call it a visualization, including our own self-image, you know, like I'm like this or like that or whatever. But um, let me ask you, where did you learn to visualize the breath? I think that's, I think that might have been how I started to meditate, um, that it was, it was... Did somebody just, teach you that or did you read it in a book or... Most people don't visualize the breath, they visualize other things. They watch the breath, right, well, that's they concentrate I mean. on the breath, but you're using a word that I've used, so I'm, you, I'm thinking about it in, in this context. Visualize means imagine, uh, project an image, like visualize Buddha or visualize uh, the Eiffel Tower or visualize the Golden Gate Bridge, you know? <laughs> Make a visual image, visualize. Yeah, no, then I mean watch. Okay, but I, I, that's different. I, I, I feel so you're the used to watching the breath and feeling the sensations? Right, yes. but then I also sort of, I think I have a visualization of it moving through my body that's just okay. like hard to kind of, it just naturally okay, we happens. Don't, yeah, we, you know, we don't have to get caught up on the words. Um, so in this practice, we're not making those kind of um, efforts. Although, as I said, if you need some structure to the just sky gazing, the openness and awareness, the unstructured, formless meditation. It's not really formless, but it seems more formless than a lot of other meditations with very specific, precise instructions of other kinds. Then you can concentrate a little on the out-breath. Or as I said, since Friday, Saturday night, you, know, you can watch the in-breath and out-breath, observe the breath, mindfulness of breathing, breath awareness. You heard me say that. But that's, in a way, a fallback position from the point of view of this openness and awareness, natural meditation, natural mind, natural heart-mind, as it is, not breath-watching, mindfulness of breathing. Yes, that is the basic Buddhist concentration-type meditation, but that's not what we're emphasizing here. Okay. Yeah, I guess my thing is just that it's... it's it's, it's kind of effortless to me. It's not like I'm trying to do it, but that's just sort of, I think, because I'm used to doing it that yes. way. Right. So now let's get to a, a subtle a point about effort and non-effort, or natural and unnatural. Addicts say it's natural to continue their habit, right? Because it's a habit. Habits have been made. They're not natural. It's conditioning. So we're trying to de recondition and decondition. So we're trying to undo the habit of overdoing. So we're doing a little. We are. We have a form here. We have a structure. We have a time. We have a position. We have a, you know, it does have some form, but it's kind of more formless. So it's hard to say make an effort not to try, 
but that's what we're talking about. So I'm going to stress again in positive terms, instructional, the, edu the engineering approach, instructions. Natural body, no special posture, just sitting and aware of the sensations that come up. Natural breath and energy, not breath holding, not breath pumping, not breath watching. And third, natural heart-mind as it is. So what we're really saying is aware of body sensations as they come up, aware of the breath or energy, aware of whatever comes up in the consciousness, the mind. So we're stressing the awareness, not just watching the breath or the physical sensations or praying for world peace, radiating light, visualizing a Buddha, you know, any of these little form meditations, little construction projects, you know, little um, contemplations, let's say, activities, contemplative activities. That's why I say awareness alone, naked awareness, awareness, aware of awareness, and sky gazing. So I'm giving, we're trying to give ourselves something to do. I have something to do. I'm, you know, with sky gazing, space mingling. I mean, all this is a little abstract, but I think it's, it's kind of descriptive of how I practice, how I learn to practice, how the masters have learned us to practice. So we're kind of doing something, but we're doing less and less. It's like that Mission Impossible tape, you know? This message will self-destruct in five seconds. So a good practice is one that doesn't make a very deep Grand Canyon-like rut, but that's spacious and inclusive and you can use anywhere. One of the problems with breath watching and concentration meditation is people can often only do it with their eyes closed or sitting or in a quiet place. So how do we carry this mindfulness into driving or, or arguing in court or, live, or the life activities? It's a big challenge. Yeah, I, I usually leave my eyes open and still I'm aware of everything, but it's kind of a sort of a base I kind of find myself going back to. So it's yeah. interesting to hear you talk right. more about so it. Meditation texts make a difference between concentration awareness, which focuses more on one point or like on the breath, and panoramic awareness or vipassana, insight, higher seeing. There are different terms for this. A more panoramic present moment awareness where we don't keep bring, bringing the attention back to the object of attention. We don't keep using the leash of remindfulness to bring the wandering attention back to the object of attention, the candle flame, the breath, but allow awareness to, to aware of whatever arises in the moment, in the body-mind continuum. That's a little more subtle and challenging for most people. But it sounds like you got, you know, you, you got it quite well in hand. And if breath awareness comes up, you, you know, awareness is aware of breathing, that's fine. That's not concentration. Concentration is when the mind goes, when you hear a sound and you come back, you pull it back to the breathing. That's the concentration training. Shine, shamatha, samadhi, calm abiding, concentration training. Okay, so what do you do when you hear a sound? You hear the sound. You do what needs to be done. The ear knows what to do and the ear conscious knows what to do. You let the sound sound. And then, and then, and then, and awareness knows what to do. 
so a panoramic awareness, higher seeing, as we call it in Tibetan Laktang, is aware of whatever momentarily presents itself in the body-mind continuum in the present moment. Not constantly coming back to the mantra or the, the object of attention. So that's more Mahamudra Zokchen style. That's what we're doing here. The other ones are also useful at different times. Questions? Yes. Hi. Um, well, <clears throat> sort of a strange question, maybe, but um, I was going to ask how would how would you uh, clarify what um, sort of the purpose of this meditation is, and how does it relate to the ultimate goal? The purpose of every Buddhist practice is enlightenment. Yes. So we just don't stress that a lot here right, because so it becomes how, like pie in the sky. I, the reason I'm asking this question is I, um, I think it's important and also I think that there, there are some meditators, such as myself, who uh, might not know exactly, they're meditating but they don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish and how that, uh, and then how that relates to you know, their uh, path to enlightenment. So... Um, uh, if you don't know that connection, then you're probably not going to get from here to there. So I'm not convinced that you have to know, but um, everything, you know, when you learn arithmetic, you don't necessarily have to know every, know about that it leads to math and trigonometry and all, but um, in order to get there. But um, are you used to meditating? I think I've seen you before, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I practice You look it. familiar. So what's your, you know, what kind of practice do you have? What are you doing? And for how long? Just roughly, just give me an idea. I'm doing this, this type of practice, Dzogchen-type practice. Yeah, so Dzogchen-type practice definitely stresses goalless, aimless. Right, right. No, I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Buddhism stresses enlightenment. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, among, among... All of this is intent on enlightenment, okay. as are the prayers that we say. May we... F complete the spiritual journey, maybe bring all beings to enlightenment. You know what I'm saying? Let me ask you another question. Go ahead. When you say... Feel uh, free. Gom means getting used to. Yes. So what, what is it that we're getting used to? Getting, that's why I'm going through a little bit of context. The view of seeing things or, as it is leads to the meditation of non-meditation, getting used to leaving it as it is, getting used to how it is. That's what you're getting used to, as it is, not trying to purify, transform, improve, world peace, save the environment. That we do in life. Right now we're trying to find some balance to our compulsive overdoing that we're so tired of, to find some peace or a balance or a center so we can go out from the center and be more centered in our engaged Buddhism, in our bodhisattva activities, in our service and giving Okay, that's, I think that's, right? that's sort of what I was uh, asking. Yeah. yeah, so it's good. It's good to clarify your question. I do too. That's why I asked if you have another question or what's the question behind that. It's easy to say the purpose is enlightenment, but what does that mean? So, but now that you have confessed that you're, a, you're an old dog Dzogchen practitioner, <laughs> then we have to say that Dzogchen is goalless and aimless and directionless and worse, useless, <laughs> hopeless, with no, you know, no hope, no fear. Dzogchen, not Mahayana Buddhism. Buddhism is very hopeful that we'll have Buddha potential, that we can all become Buddhists. Very hopeful. 
etc. Sangha, beautiful, hopeful. Enlightenment is possible for everybody, hopeful. But Dzogchen is, you know, mystical, direct access, so it's beyond hope and fear and goal and even beyond thinking about karma and good and bad. What's the good and bad in just being? Very hard to say. Good and bad pertains to doing and to relation, the relational world. I don't want to monopolize the microphone. I could carry on quite a bit, but... That's okay. You had good questions. Thank you. Those are real questions that we all have at some point or other. Any other questions before we end? Yes. Hello. Who is that back there? Isabel? Hello. So you raised something that I struggled with before um, in some of our practice groups, Sochan practice groups, where the question arises of who or what who or what is perceiving, who or what is feeling. And I did that for a while, and I found myself just concretizing more and more on the ego, and I had to drop that. That's fine. That's so, only one portal or way, way in. You know, not everybody finds that useful, just like not everybody finds chanting or, or yoga useful or devotional practice, some are more philosophical, some more devotional. So... You're a kind of analytical person, and you're working in an analytical profession. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe when you're sitting and practicing is not the time for you to be analyzing. You too easily fall into that. You can use the other side of your brain and just rock and intuit it all at once somehow, or chant your brains out, or devotional guru yoga, you know, yeah. whatever works for you to bring you back to the view and to just being and to open awareness and integrating that in life. Thank you. That's why there are different practices and different courses for different horses, different skillful means for different people, different per spiritual personalities and types, but also for different times on the path. You know, different times in the past, sometimes we're more alone, sometimes more with others, sometimes, you know, more in the learning phase, sometimes more in the experiencing phase. Yes, young lady, we got another live one over here. <laughs> um, What's your name? Give us your good name, as we say. Brenna. Brenna? Brenna. Mm -hmm. So that, another question that it brought up when you were speaking, um, when gazing, I often do in the last year have really got a habit of looking one-pointedly with open eyes and gazing, mm -hmm. but not like, not like, like you know, holding on, not grasping onto that space, no, but just kind not. of gazing. Um, but so you recommend just more... Gazing, that's why I don't say staring or watching. We're not really watching. Just gazing like you're on a grassy hilltop overlooking the ocean or some beautiful, just, you know, oh, just relaxed. But it is okay if it's gazing at one point, but not like grasping on to it? Or is it... Every, I'm, not gonna be like, <laughs> I'm not the okay man. It's all okay in the great perfection. Therefore, I have to say it's all okay. But also, you asked a very interesting question. Is it okay to just be gazing, 
No, of course, not grasping, but just gazing at one point. Everything is okay without grasping. That's like bottom line answer to most questions. But what grasping means is it gets a little subtle at certain times. And grasping is just a translation. You know, there are other words. If you say attachment, then you say, well, what about attachment? Shouldn't I be attached to my kids? Etc. You see? So try to penetrate the meaning, not just the words. So if you're just gazing, it seems to me it's just an idea you have that you're gazing at one point, unless you're staring or watching. Because the eyes aren't that focused, the mind and senses aren't that focused. Gazing includes all the senses. That's what I want to say. Let's not just think about the eyes. Sky gazing includes ear gazing and nose gazing and body gazing. All the senses open and gazing just means, how about receptive? Openly receptive. That's why I said, as you heard, I'm sure, eyes open, ears open, nose open. I go on with the whole list to try to impress on like the bigger gazing, the big sphere, not just the conning tower, the ivory tower here, you know. I'm gazing, but I'm not staring at you. I'm just gazing. Don't be paranoid. Good question. Can I ask just a follow-up question? Yes, yes, Just that yes. she, she asked about digging deeper and the questions of who, who's looking, who's that. Right. I, I thought that's not what we were supposed to be doing right now. Right, that's not. That was just one of the little tune-ups that I threw into when people are dozing. You shouldn't be doing anything right now. Whatever you're doing, you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> but that's hard to avoid. I mean, whatever you're doing, in this view, you shouldn't be doing. But it's hard to avoid. You have to do something. So whatever you're doing has to be it. As I've said, rest in the natural state or whatever state you think you're in. That will have to do. Because there's no position, posture or position for Dzogchen. There's no direction. And so on. So in a way, we're fabricating a meditation retreat and a Dzogchen meditation in order to cultivate or deepen in the view meditation and action, not just in sitting meditation or in Buddhism or something. So for all the talk you might hear about pointing out instructions, in Dzogchen there's no pointing, nothing to point to. That's a big point. That's a, like a big point. Pointer. It's like pulling the rug out from under everything. So because you think I'm just um, freewheeling and free associating and you know joking, I want to quote the great pioneer Chuggam Trungpa in his classic little book, Journey Without Goal. Journey Without Goal. We've talked about that goal. So in Journey Without Goal, this wise guy lays out the whole path, the nine yanas of Buddhism, according to him, Mahamudra Dzogchen tradition. The nine vehicles, approaches, stages, whatever you want to call it, nine yanas, nine vehicles, nine dimensions of Buddhism, Buddhist practice. Leading up to the ninth, what he calls the peak vehicle, Mahaati Dzogchen. You with me, Brenna? In the ninth, he says, all of this has been like building up a big tower 
In the, in the eighth, in Mahamudra, we pull out the rug from under the tower and the whole thing collapses. But the ninth is even worse. The ninth is when the big blue pancake of the sky falls on your head. <laughs> if you see what I'm saying, pulling out the rug sounds good if you're a spiritual seeker and you can understand things like shunyata and anatta, and no self and illusion, right? But the big blue pancake of the sky falling on your head, like what can you do with that? That's just crushing. That's just like, fuck, forget it. Just fuck, just drop the whole project, just the whole enlightenment project, just like. <laughs> That's him in English, not translated by some eccentric translator. That's Mahaati's Okpachempo. Where do you go from that? Goalless, aimless, you know. Have breakfast, eat pancake. I don't know. <laughs> So that's why we balance the relative practices with this very absolute formless practice, the praying and chanting and aspiring and bodhisattva vows and everything else that we do and include. Very important. Thank you for your excellent questions and attention. <laughs>